Hey, welcome to the Fusion ATL podcast. This is Pastor Vance. If you're not familiar with Fusion, we are the young adult ministry for Victory World Church in Norcross, Georgia. We meet every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Feel free to follow us on Instagram at Fusion ATL. I hope you enjoy this message and we look forward to seeing you soon. I'm really, I'm still really excited for 2021. I am just excited for what God is doing in our church, uh, here in our young adult ministry, uh, in our lives as a whole. I do believe this is going to be a big year for us. I just feel like God is preparing. I I do feel like 2020 was a preparation ground for something. Um, You know, it's just hitting me now. But man, right before 2020 started, you remember, I, if you were here, we did a series called The Parable, uh, talking about the parable of the, so- of the sower. And it's about the different types of soil uh, that can receive a seed. And it was, it was talk, Jesus was referring to different heart conditions that we can have when we hear the gospel. And the reason that I ended up teaching on that series is because a month beforehand, when we were in prayer as a team, just about fusion, I just started getting this super vivid vision of soil. And it was like, I just, in like the last year or so, I've been getting more visions. That wasn't like a normal thing for me uh, where I was getting any types of visions, but that was one of the first ones that I got because it was, and and I knew it was a vision because it was more than something that you just kind of think about or see, it was vivid. It was like I could feel the texture of the soil and I could smell the aroma of it. Um, and I didn't know what it meant, but you know, in prayer, I felt like God was talking about just the condition of our hearts and how he was preparing fresh, fertile soil in our ministry, talking about all of us having the right heart condition to receive what he wanted to do. Now, looking back to how 2020 actually panned out, I feel like God was breaking up some hard ground, that he was getting us ready for some of the things that he wants to speak to us, that he was getting the soil prepared for what he wanted to sow. Because I I say it all the time, but the seed is always the same. It's the soil that changes. The word of God, the truth is always the same. It is eternally consistent. It's always the same. But how it turns out in our lives depends on our heart and how we are able to receive what he says to us. And I feel like it's even it's more relevant this year than it was last year. I feel like that was just like a like a flash you know, just a hint, a deposit for what God was really wanting to speak. And so this year, we've been talking about, uh, in a couple different ways, just this concept of the destiny that God has for us, this eternal destiny that he has for us, and how we are actually supposed to walk out this eternal calling that he has for us. Uh, And we started with a message called Destiny Defined. And the whole idea behind it was just that a lot of us are trying to walk out a heavenly calling with an earthly perspective. And so God is calling us to live in a way that's consistent with his eternal plan. But so much of our focus can be on temporary things. And then we wonder why there's this inconsistency between who God wants us to be and who we really are. 
And so then we started talking about the idea of needing to be transformed because God said that in order uh, to know what his will is, to determine what his good and perfect will is, he says this in Romans uh, 12 too, he says that in order to know what his will is, we first have to be not conformed to the patterns of the world, meaning we don't allow ourselves to be molded. That's what that word conforming is. We don't allow ourselves to be molded by how the world around us operates, but we allow him to transform us by renewing our minds, changing the way we think. The only way to live the life that God is calling you to live is to actually be transformed. Because if, when, you, when you first meet Jesus, the way that you think is not going to sustain you for where he's going to take you. When you first meet Jesus, the way that you think in that first encounter is not going to sustain you for where he's going to take you. Because when you meet Jesus, it's not just a ticket for later, but you're actually deciding to take a journey right now. But a lot of our idea of what Christianity is has been, man, I have this ticket for later when I die at some point. And I don't feel like that's going to happen anytime soon. But at some point when I die, I'll be able to go to heaven because I have this ticket into heaven because of Jesus. But it doesn't have a ton of implications right now in the way that I live. A lot of us our life is still conformed to the pattern of the world around us. I would ask you, you know, if you take yourself, right, and put you in a room of 10 people who are not believers, who do not follow Jesus, and we just looked at how you live life in comparison to them, is there a big difference? I want you to think about it for a second. Because that's what led us into last week's message where we were talking about uh, this example that God put in nature of the caterpillar and the butterfly. How transformation, he's given us a beautiful picture of his heart for transformation and his design of the metamorphosis of a caterpillar into a butterfly. A totally different insect with a uh, a different lifestyle, a different look, a different food source. The butterfly operates totally different than the caterpillar. And we were talking about how a lot of us, when we get into, when we start following Christ and we don't understand this concept of the need for our thinking to be renewed and for us to actually think totally different and operate totally different, we get frustrated because we're, 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 God is trying to take us into being butterflies And we're stuck looking at all the caterpillars comparing ourselves. And so how that pans out in our lives is is God is uh, he's trying to take us into lives of purity, you know, where we are actually uh, conscious of how we operate with our bodies, where we're conscious of the things that we speak and the things that we say, the things that we listen to, the, the activities that we participate in and There are just certain things that butterflies do that caterpillars just don't do. Certain things that caterpillars do that butterflies just don't do. But we can get caught up in this frustration of, God, I want to be like everybody else. And he's like, you're not you're not even of their nature anymore. 
and you're, you're frustrated because you're trying to operate like they operate. And that's not what I have for you. I actually have something better for you. Butterflies eat nectar. They don't eat leaves. They have something sweeter available to them. And that's actually, this is not a, this is not a, a, a condemnation of people who are outside of Christ. This is talking about the desire that Christ has for every single person. Christ came to turn caterpillars into butterflies, everybody. And it may sound like, oh, yo, I'm not trying to be no butterfly. It's just a picture. It's a picture of what God wants to do. It's a whole transformation that takes place because I can guarantee you God wants to transform your life. Again, the way that you think when you meet Jesus is not going to sustain you and it's not his desire for you. He's come to show you the way. The way means he's taking you on a journey to go somewhere different than where you are right now. And so what I want to talk about tonight is one of the greatest obstacles, one of the greatest threats to our journey with God. One of the greatest threats possible to us getting to where God actually wants us to be. The greatest threat, I believe, to uh, us fulfilling God's purpose for our lives and it's insecurity. Insecurity. Anybody familiar with that word? Have you guys heard that word floating around, flying around everywhere like I have? Have you found insecurity creeping up in your personal life? It's something that we're all prone to. It's something that we all deal with. It's a threat that stands against where God is wanting to take us. And so I want to first jump into the scripture that we started the year with in Ephesians 1, chapter 3. I mean, Ephesians 1, verses 3 through 6. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved, meaning Jesus. So I want to pray, and then we're going to unpack how this relates to what we're talking about tonight. And when I pray, I want you guys to pray as well. I want you to pray for God to speak to you tonight. Because this isn't uh, about just a presentation that I'm trying to bring to you, but this is something that we're gathering around together. This is not about my teaching. Uh, you know, I was, I was reading probably a few weeks ago in John where Jesus is teaching at this feast and people are amazed. And he's like, this isn't even my teaching. This is the teaching of my father. I'm just sharing what he sent me. And so in the same way, I want us to always remember that that I'm not bringing anything uh, to present to you personally. 
or to impress you in any way, but this is an opportunity for us to gather around the word of God and to hear the message from God himself, a message that's been around for a lot longer than me and that I've had the privilege of learning about and that I'm excited to share with you guys. Amen. So I want you guys to pray personally that God would be speaking to you because he's told us that his Holy Spirit will lead us into all truth and he will teach you and the anointing that he's given you will teach you about everything that you need to know. And so I want you to be listening from that lens that God wants to speak something to me, not because of a message or a message title or the point, but it's his word that feeds my soul and my spirit. And he's provided this for me to guide me in this journey. And his word is alive and active as he says, and it will, it will discern the thoughts and the intentions of my heart as he says. And so we wanna welcome God to do that as we read his word, amen? amen? All right, so I'm gonna pray and I want you to pray for yourself while I'm praying and agree with me. Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity to be in your house. God, to be gathered around your word, to be gathered around your presence, Lord. Lord, we don't engage with you like you're not here, but we know that you are here. You are present. You said that when, any, when two or three gather in your name, you are here in the midst. And so, Lord, we know that that is true and that you are here. And so we welcome you into our hearts, Lord. We don't ask you to come here. We know that you're here, but we invite you to speak to us personally. We invite you into our hearts to discern our thoughts, discern our intentions, help us to navigate the life that you have so graciously gifted us with. Lord, I pray that you would help us to grow closer to you, to know you deeper. Lord, I pray that we would hear your voice tonight. Lord, that everyone in here watching online, that everyone would be hearing your voice much more loudly than mine. Lord, that you would help me to just decrease and that you would increase greatly, Lord. You said that those who love you, Lord, you will love them and you will manifest yourself to them. That means you will appear, you will make yourself known. And so we invite you to manifest yourself tonight, Lord, in our hearts, in our minds, in our midst. Be glorified and have your way. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So the reason that I read that scripture is because that's what all of this hinges on. He says that we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms, that we were chosen in him before the foundation of the world, and that we were, uh, that we were chosen so that we should be holy and blameless before him. We were predestined for adoption. That is unchangeable. And God started speaking to me about this towards the beginning of the year. And it just rang out to me in a different way than it ever had before. Um, we talked about in the, the Destiny Defined message, how after that, down in verse 20, he says that he seated Christ. He raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Uh, if you're not familiar, Jesus Christ, son of God, comes to earth, lives a human life, uh, dies a criminal's death on a cross, all to pay the price for our sins. Afterwards, God raises him from the dead. Only person to be raised from the dead. And then it says that he seated Jesus in the heavenly realms at the right hand of the throne of God. 
far above all rule and authority, all power and dominion, and over every name that is invoked. That means Jesus Christ is Lord, he's leader, he's the head over everything in all of existence, over every governmental power, over every demonic and spiritual power, over everything that has authority on earth and in heaven, Jesus Christ is over. He sits above it. He's Lord. It has to bow to him. Every knee should bow. Every tongue confess to the name of Jesus Christ. Then astonishingly, in the next chapter, in chapter 2, he says that God raised us with him. And then he didn't just raise us because this is where a lot of our theology ends, where we're forgiven for our sins. No, he goes on to say, he has the audacity to say that he not only raised us with him, but he seated us with him in the heavenly places. In him. What does that mean? Jesus Christ is seated at the right hand of the throne of God, far above all authority, all rule, all power, all dominion, over every name that can be spoken, every God that people could try to proclaim, every name on the planet, every name of every disease, every name of every country, every name of every demonic power, every name that could possibly be invoked, Jesus Christ is seated above it. Then we are seated with him in that place, in him, secure. Most of us do not live with that awareness when we come to follow Christ. If you are are not a follower of Christ, you definitely don't live with that awareness because you're not seated with him at the moment. But this is what he offers to every human being. This is what he came to do. Way before anything happened, God set this plan in motion. It says before the foundation of the world, this plan was set in motion. And yet, a lot of us, we are not very strong in how we approach our lives. And I believe that it is a lack of this awareness that hinders us in how we engage with God, in how we engage with the people around us, in the decisions that we make, because we are not secure in this reality. But since God has been speaking this to me, this has changed and shifted the way that I pray. This has changed and shifted the way that I expect anything. This supersedes any theological debate about uh, whether whether healing is available for us, whether freedom is available for us, deliverance is available for us, whether we are bound to our sin or not, it supersedes it because he says very clearly, we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. That means any blessing that is available in Christ who is able to do anything, that means any blessing that is available, this is God's word, not mine, is available to us. This is what he said. And the church, we've had a lot of different issues because 
We've had different phases and different ages and different teachers who will maybe go hard pressed on one particular thing and start getting out of line. And then uh, it it pollutes doctrine. And then we have the prosperity gospel and then we want to run from the prosperity gospel. And now we go to the poverty gospel where we don't believe God wants to do anything for us except for save us. But he says Now, he doesn't say, we talked about last week how the the gospel is not about partnering with God to make yourself successful. According to this world's idea of success, that's not what this is about. However, we cannot deny that he says, you have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Everything that God can do from heaven is available to you. And you've been seated with Christ in heavenly places. This is Jesus Christ who walked around and healed the sick, who raised the dead, who cured diseases, who had access to anything and everything by the leading of the Holy Spirit, submitted to his father. So he wasn't out of line. God is not just a genie where we just ask him for any and everything, but he has a will, he has a purpose, he has a plan for our lives that includes access to every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And the reason that I'm excited about this tonight is because if we can grasp this, it will transform the way that we live our lives, the way that we pray, what we believe about God, what we believe about who we are in him, how we engage with him, it'll transform everything. And if God has called us to love him, he says the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And yet, if you are not secure, you're not able to do that. If I'm not not secure in who God says that I am, I'm not able to do that if I don't believe that God has my best intentions in heart. I can't love him with everything that I have. But it's this reality that assures me of what God's heart is for me. And so this is so important, especially in our young adult years, because this is the time we're making major decisions about life. And we need to know, we need to be secure in what God has for us. And I know in my personal life that if I allowed insecurity to win in my life, I would not be walking in God's will for my life. We all deal with insecurity. Every single one of us. In every stage in life, there is no point that you get to where you are no longer threatened by insecurity. But it's not about whether you deal with insecurity. It's about whether insecurity wins in your life. You can clap it up. Not for me, but for that truth. Because I think, man, so I'm 32 now. I've I've even gotten a few grays over here in my beard. It's getting real out here. But all throughout my 20s, I went on this journey of transformation and this journey of learning what to place my trust in, where I can find security, because I started my 20s 
believing in Jesus, but really placing all of my security in the opinions of others, the, the world's definition of success, and competing with everybody. And that's not a way to live out God's will for your life. Because if that's what you're driven by, you won't recognize, we talked about the caterpillar, before it turns into a butterfly, it has to enter into this cocoon or chrysalis. That's not a pretty place to be. And each and every one of us has to go through a humbling process where God reorients how we operate, reorients how we think, and it's not pretty. That's not when you can flex on anybody. The transformation process, when you are in the midst of transformation, that is not the time where you can flex, where you can show off. There's nothing to show off. You're emptied out. He starts breaking and crushing, humbling. You learn how to depend on him. We see this all throughout scripture. With every person that he raises up, there's a crushing process that takes place. For me, I had to have, and I say had to have, I had to have my dreams crushed. Because if God didn't do it, I would have never submitted. If God didn't like yoke me up, I would, have, I would not have submitted because I felt like I could do both. The same thing that I was talking about last week about, about glory and how we have a glory issue and how you know, a lot of us are living our lives to glorify ourselves, that was me. And as Christians, we can get in this place of living our lives to glorify ourselves and thinking we can shout out God and that'll be enough. Thank you, God, for all the things that I'm stunting on everybody with. And that is, even though we may not admit it, that's a lot of what we want. We're like, look, if I could just get rich today, I would do this, I would do this, I would do this. And in the back of your mind, you are thinking about what everybody's seeing it. Proving people wrong. Who said this and this and that about you. And then... I'll also go to church <laughs> and I'll put believer or Christian or something in my bio. Okay. Come on, come on. I'll even, I'll post a little um, <laughs> devotional from my Bible app every now and then so people know I'm a Christian in between all of my other stuff where I'm just focused on glorifying myself. This is the reality that we live in. And it's the trap that we can fall into. But the reality that God has for us is what we just talked about. Everything he has for us is secured. Everything he has for us is secured. The only thing that becomes insecure is us, our perspective, our behaviors, our engagement. And so what is insecurity? Insecurity is defined in two ways. One, in uncertainty or anxiety about oneself, lack of confidence, 
Has anyone ever experienced that? I have. Number two, the state of being open to danger or threat, a lack of protection. That's insecurity. It is not God's will for you to be insecure. It is not God's will for you to be insecure. It is not God's will for you to be insecure. It is not God's will for me to be insecure. In fact, the definition of secure is this. Number one, fixed or fastened so as not to give way, become loose or be lost. God does not want you to give way, become loose or ever be lost. Two, not subject to threat, certain to remain or continue safe and unharmed. That is God's will for your life. This is why Jesus came. This is, how, this is why we have to have a robust understanding of the gospel that only comes from spending time with God. Because if our, if, the, if our idea of the gospel is very shallow, then we won't be able to be secure. But the deeper that you get to know God, the, the deeper your understanding of his love for you becomes, the deeper your understanding of his grace for you becomes, the deeper the cross and the meaning of it becomes, the deeper his resurrection and the meaning of it becomes, the deeper you understand the power that's available for you, the hope that's available for you, the, the, measure, the his immeasurable riches that are available for you. He says all that in Ephesians 1. But we have, he wants us to know this. And that's what's going to make us understand that we are not subject to threat and that we are certain to remain eternal life and we will continue safe and unharmed. That is God's will for our lives. So what is making us insecure? Let's talk about it. What is making us insecure? I actually, um, one, I had a great discussion yesterday. I just sent out uh, a quick Zoom link to some of our leaders uh, who serve here with us. And I was, you know, putting this together and I was like, yo, anybody want to jump on a call real quick and just talk about this concept of insecurity? Um, and, you know, I think maybe like 12 or 13 of them jumped on and we just had a great conversation just about how this pans out in, in our different lives and in different stages of our lives. And it was awesome. And uh, one of my favorite questions that I asked them was, you know, is there anything that comes to your mind when you think, hey, I hope you don't say this, or I hope this doesn't happen in a message where we're talking about insecurity. Uh, and one of the things what, that I thought was uh, great was just, one, um, I hope you don't just make it sound easy. Like, oh, it's no big deal. Don't be insecure. Stop being insecure. Just be secure. Let's not just have a, a, a cheap answer. Um, but the funny thing is, I feel like on the flip side, the world around us offers us the cheapest answers for insecurity available. The cheapest ones. So I was working out the other day and decided to try a new form of cardio and in uh, the gym that we go to, there is a Peloton bike. 
And Peloton is clearly, once I started taking the classes, I realized that it is uh, primarily targeted at stay-at-home moms. Because that is who they're talking to on there. They're like, you're a boss. Like, <laughs> if your kids are around, you know, uh, just keep pushing, like all this stuff. And I'm like, uh, okay. Aside from that, they are really, really, really into the music. Like, super into the music. More into the music than I realized anybody was into music. One of the classes that I was taking, uh, the girl was like living by the music. <laughs> she was like, I just want you guys to listen to this lyric right here. That like, I walk by the mirror, like, dang, I'm fine. And like all this, and I'm like, bro, are, are you really finding your confidence in a rap song? Like, this is where we're looking to find confidence because we're all looking for security. And so the whole world is talking about how to find it, but they offer the cheapest answers possible, like a Cardi B song. That is not where you're going to find security, ma'am. It's just not. But this is a grown woman and I feel for her because we all have this desire. We just don't all know where to look. And so I'm sorry if that hit home a little too deep because some of y'all are looking to Cardi B. But I just want to tell you, that's not where you're going to find the security that you're looking for. And so um, I looked at this study that was done. It was a global millennial study, right, about millennials and Gen Z and just what our priorities are and why we're finding insecurities. And it was interesting that the top five priorities for young adults globally, number one, travel the world. For millennials and Gen Z, 57% for each of the two generations, number one priority is to travel the world. Wonder where we got that from, Instagram. Two, Increase their income and financial status. Y'all are like, okay, yeah. That's, that's probably number one for me so I could travel the world. Number three, buy a home. Four, make a positive impact on the community and the society. How beautiful. Five, start a family and have children. I want you guys to notice uh, that this was a study that was done about security that young adults feel. And I just felt like this resonated so heavily, specifically when I think of social media, because it's just posts that come to mind. When I look at these, travel the world, okay? Posts are just coming to my mind. Everybody wants to post. Pictures, videos, traveling the world, we're all susceptible to it. The first thing that you think of when you go on a vacation is posting it. All right, well, you are very holy if you don't. But most people, most young adults, first thing that you think about 
is you're taking a sign, you're taking a picture of the sign as you walk out the airport or walk into the airport or just a video of your shoes walking into the airport or like the little video with your shoes by your luggage. Like, oh, I'm not going to tell you where I'm going, but just know I'm traveling the world. I've seen it. Maybe you haven't. I've done it. Maybe you haven't. Sorry. Um, increase their income and financial status. Oh, my goodness. If I see another post about stimulus checks, about day trading, about starting a business, about how I made X amount of money in the last month, and you can too, if you just listen to me because I'm the expert. It's everywhere. Everyone is selling you on how to do these things. And it's to speak to an insecurity. It's, I would feel more secure if I just had more money, man. I would feel more secure if I was traveling the world. I would feel more secure if I bought a home. How many first time buyer just bought a home? I'm not knocking it, but just think about the things that we're seeing, right? And, and what it does in our brains to, to shift our priorities. And now somebody who wasn't even thinking about buying a house is like, yo, man, I don't have a house. I still live at the, I still live at the crib with my parents or whatever it is. And now insecurity. Oh, man, I, I haven't bought a home. Maybe I'm not prepared to buy a home. Early 20s, I was not prepared to buy a home. So when I say I was uh, really bent on my own personal success, I kind of took the sacrifice everything for what you're trying to build approach, like the, man, people saying that they're sleeping in their cars and this and this. And, and when I get my mind focused on something, there's not really anything that can stop me. And so the only thing that could stop me was God being like, stop. But what ended up happening before God just stepped in and interrupted my plan was I just wasn't taking care of my finances uh, in terms of paying bills and all that stuff because I was investing everything in what I was trying to do. And I'm like, y'all pay all that stuff later. Right. So when I was 23, I went after I got saved, right? I got saved. It was like, all right, I need to, you know, start living life the right way. Uh, I went and got a job, which uh, pr prior to doing that, I was too prideful to do. I'm like, I'm only going to work for myself uh, and stun on everybody. And so <laughs> I go and get a job. And then I'm like, all right, I want to get a nicer car than I have. And so I went to a dealership. And they were like, yes, sir, so your credit score is a 455. And I was like, a what? <laughs> I didn't know it went down that low. Um, I'ma holla at y'all, I'll be back. And so I've been on quite a journey. It's, my credit score is no longer that. Doing a little bit better, thank you. Um, but that was kind of the start of like my, my 
chrysalis cocoon process of just like going from, because prior to that, I wasn't doing too bad um, in terms of the direction that I was going. And so long story short, what I'm saying is I know what it's like to not be in the most glamorous position possible, right? Um, And to be in a position where you don't have the things that make you appear um, attractive in certain ways and just make you insecure. Has anybody ever felt insecure about their financial situation ever in life? Maybe not now, maybe you're good. Have you ever felt insecure about your financial situation? It's real. And if you go by the priorities of the rest of the world, um, you can be in a perpetual state of insecurity. The issue is that these are the priorities of a lot of people in the world, but these are not God's priorities. It's not. Like God's priority is not. Now, hear me when I say this. I'm not saying that he doesn't want you to be responsible, that he doesn't want you to be a good steward, that he doesn't want you to manage your money well, but his top priority is not an increase in your salary. His top priority is not raising your income, raising your credit score. All those things are cool, but they're not his top priority and none of them are secure. And so you can't try to place your security in that. But I ask you this, what do you feel like you have to be in to be secure? And I want to ask you that question based on how you live your life, not based on the theology that's in your head. Oh, I'm secure in Christ. Okay. Prove it to me by your priorities and how you live your life and how secure you feel on a daily basis. And then you'll start seeing things pop up where it's like, okay, I do kind of feel like I have to be in a relationship to be secure. I do feel like I have to be in the right circle of people to be secure. I do feel like I have to be in the right network of people to be secure. I do feel like I have to be in the right outfit to be secure. I do feel like I have to be in shape to be secure. I do feel like I have to be in a particular career, in a particular school, in an apartment, in my own house. There are things that I feel like I have to be in to be secure. Which one is it for you? Is there anything that in your mind you feel like you have to be in to be secure? I would say for for most of you, there's something that God is wanting to speak to us about. And it's not that you shouldn't have any of those things. That is not the point of this message. I don't believe that it's God's desire that we don't have relationships or friendships or blessings or uh, financial uh, increases or homes or places to live clothes, whatever it is, it's not, it's just, I'm talking about priority level and security, that your security can't be found in these things. Because the definition of security was about being fixed or fastened so as to not give way, become loose or be lost. So none of those things can provide security because nothing can provide security if it can give way, become loose or be lost. 
Everything that I named can be lost, can give way, can shake up. There's no relationship on the planet with a human being that is absolutely secure and could never give way or be lost. People lose relationships, people lose marriages, people lose friends, people pass away, people lose jobs. You could be looking for your security in this job and get fired. 2020 can happen and everybody can get laid off. Companies can downsize. Man, your business that you started can no longer be able to function because nobody's going outside the house. It's just not secure. It's not secure. So where can we find security? Okay, getting knowledge. Okay, I agree. The right knowledge, like what we're talking about right here, when you get this knowledge, this is where you can become secure. And that was actually a great segue. Thank you. Matthew 7, 24 through 27, Jesus says this. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. It was secure. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. He doesn't say there is anything different about these houses except for their security. He didn't say one house was big and one house was small. One house could have been pretty and the other one ugly. Both houses could be ugly. Both houses could be pretty. One could be a mansion. One could be a shack. Both could be shacks. Both could be mansions. It doesn't matter what the house looks like. It matters whether it's secure. Because no matter what it looks like, it's the security that matters because storms are going to come. Streams rise. Winds blow. Rain comes. One falls. One doesn't. And Jesus is talking about how we live our lives. If we are not secure in who he has called us to be, if we don't understand the eternal calling that is on each and every one of our lives, and if we are not walking with him, listening to his instruction, living life in relationship to him, then it doesn't matter how we build our houses. It doesn't matter if we travel the world, if we have all the money in the world, if we start a family, have children, it doesn't matter if we buy a house or not. It doesn't matter if we have a 850 credit score or not because you can build all those things on the wrong foundation and it's not secure. I know some very happy, rich people. My concern is whether they are secure eternally. And yet we live our lives, many of us in a rat race, trying to meet these standards that God has not even set for us. 
says that he's already blessed us and chosen us. And it says that his kingdom cannot be shaken. Hebrews 12, 28 says, therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, that means it cannot give way, become loose or be lost. It cannot be shaken. His kingdom is unshakable. Let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. This kingdom that cannot be shaken, what is secure, what cannot be shaken in the life of a Christian which is simply a human being who has become acquainted with the almighty God who wants to draw them in a loving relationship. This is the reality that cannot be shaken. It's the first scripture we delve into. He, Ephesians 1, 3 through 6. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He is who, through, he's who security comes through. He has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. So in Christ, you are blessed, you are chosen, and you are destined, and it is unshakable. It's unshakable. It is the only thing that is secure. So I'm not saying, man, don't try to do something with your life. There's nothing wrong with doing something with your life. God wants you to do something with your life. But he wants you to do something with your life that's consistent with the calling that's on your life for the kingdom that cannot be shaken. Because everything that you do, everything that you build here only matters if it lasts. And everything here is going to be shaken. Says that this whole world, all of creation, all of the universe, everything that's been created will be shaken. But the kingdom of God will not be shaken. This is the gospel. This is why we've been predestined and chosen. God, before he created everything in his infinite wisdom, knew that even though we would sin, even though we would fall, at the end of it all, he would have People who would be holy and blameless before him, chosen in him before everything started, destined to be holy and blameless and to be with him for all of eternity. This was his desire. This is the gospel. It's not just about Jesus Christ died for my sins and thank you, Jesus. This is a robust Huge story that we all get to be a part of a redemption plan of a God who thought of you before he even said, let there be light. And secured your place with him. Should you accept it? Secured your place, blessed you with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, chose you and destined you to be holy and blameless before him. Holy and blameless. For some of us, that doesn't sound super impressive. Here's what God showed me about it. Two words, holy. Holy means to be set apart. Holy means to be set apart. That means you have a group of things or people and you set something to the side. Not just for no reason, but for a purpose. The greatest metaphor that God has been able to use to equate what he's talking about in our relationship with us is like a husband and a wife. This is why God calls his church his bride. 
And I didn't understand it for a long time. Because, especially as a man, you don't want to be called the bride of Christ. It's like, God, why are you calling me your wife? That's weird. But here's why. Because it's not about a romantic thing. It's not about a sexual thing. It's not about anything weird. It's about the metaphor that's taking place. What happens in holy matrimony? Why is it called holy matrimony? Holy means set apart. It means two people are deciding to be reserved to each other and make a covenant and commitment to each other that no one else is involved in. And so before God founded the earth, he destined you to be set apart to him, to have your affection set on him, for his affections to be set on you, for your focus to be on him, for your attention to be on him, because he's the one who created you. God is love. He embodies love. He is love. And we're all looking for love. He is the fulfillment of all that love is. He is everything that we need. And he doesn't want us looking to the left and to the right and to these things that will be shaken and will pass away. But he, he wants us to be set apart for him. So God wants a bride so that his bride can be set aside for him. But he wants a particular type of bride. Thank you. Spotless. You don't want to marry somebody that you don't like. Right? Like, do you want to marry somebody who is disrespectful, dishonoring, unattractive? You're just not feeling them. No. But what if like that person was set to the side for you? This is why. The redemption process was necessary because God, in his infinite wisdom, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, desire relationship with us, right? Knowing that he's going to send his son to pay the price so that we could be with him, in relationship with him. The other factor, there had to be a redemption factor in it. Why? So that he could have a bride he enjoyed, not a bride full of sin and idolatry and hatred toward him, not a bride that only followed our own desires and only checked in with him like he's Santa Claus. He wanted a bride who was fully committed to him, fully devoted to him, gave him everything. And that could only happen through Jesus Christ, dying for our sins so that we could be forgiven, washed clean, viewed as righteous, and given the ability through the Holy Spirit to actually live out a life that is holy, that is pure, that is righteous, that is reflective of who he is. Your, your spouse reflects who you are. I am very aware that my wonderful, amazing bride is a reflection of me. And so when you hear her pray, you know I pray. When you hear how she loves, there is a reflection of me in there. And of course, she is empowered by God and she is her own person. But there is something that God has designed in marriage to where the two reflect each other. There are, there are glimpses of my wife that you get when you hear me. There are glimpses of me that you get when you hear her because we're one. 
and you want a spouse who is a reflection of you. And so God desires a bride that is a reflection of his heart and of his character. And that is why it's so necessary that we be forgiven of our sins, that our sins be washed away and that we stop sinning. Because when we are in sin, we are not reflecting the heart and character of God. That is why the grace of God is so beautiful that he would always be available for us to forgive us and to wash us clean. He says that if we will confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Why not for our glory, but for his? Because he wants a spotless bride and he has the power to wash us. This is what God desires. You're chosen, destined before all of earth was created to be holy and to be blameless. Why? Because he knew that he wanted to seat us with Christ in heavenly places. It's this picture that he gives us, not that we are a woman, but it's a picture of a relationship between a husband and a wife. We're now seated with him in heavenly places. A king seated on a throne, who would be seated next to him? A queen. And the queen has access to everything the king has. My wife never has to question if she has access to something that's mine. I don't have any hidden accounts that she doesn't have access to. Everything that I have, her name is on. What she has, my name is on. Why? Because we're one. And this is the picture that God gives us of our relationship with Jesus Christ. What an amazing love that his his desire for us is not just to live better lives as Christians. It's to be seated with him and have access to every single thing that he has for all of eternity. This is why he says he seated us with him in heavenly places so that he will be able to show us the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness in the coming ages. That means throughout all of eternity, God is going to be showing us his grace and his kindness as a husband would to a wife, a good husband would to a wife. This is the picture that we have for marriage, and it's beautiful, given to us straight by God. Man. I have some some more that I think I'm going to save for next week. Y'all want to hear it or you want to wait till next week? I think, huh? Let, let, Let it marinate, huh? Let it marinate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wanted to see. Half of y'all are like, say it. Half of y'all are like, I'm ready to go. That's cool. Um, no, nah, I'm going to save this for next week, man. So I want us to, we're going to close right here. We're going to close right here. I want us to, to really think about this, right? Matthew 7, 24 through 27. He talks about building a house. Each and every one of us are building a house. One house is going to be secure. Other houses will not be secure. This is the reality of humanity. Some of our houses will not be secure because we don't build our lives on the right thing. But some of us are going to heed what God is saying. We're going to allow him into these places that are uncomfortable. We're going to allow him to speak to where we wrestle with insecurity. And we're going to allow him 
to free us, to stop us from being hindered in how we engage with him and how we respond to him and how we love the people around us. We're going to be secure because it's been his desire for us to be secure since before he even created us. This has been promised to us. And what I can guarantee to you is a million years from now, your 20s, your 30s are going to feel like nothing. Like whether you were viewed as this amazing, successful person, whether people viewed you as an influencer, whether your parents were proud, whether they weren't, how much money was in your bank account, none of that's going to matter a million years from now. Why do I say a million years from now? Because I firmly, firmly, firmly believe that you will be conscious a million years from now. And that's what we have to be thinking about in the now is what's worth it. We have this small amount of time to invest in a million years from now, a billion years from now. Time that we couldn't even fathom, but that is guaranteed to us. Now, Jesus says that there's a house that can be built by sand, on sand, and it will fall with a hard crash when the, when the testing comes. And here's the reality. Jesus does not just promise us a beautiful eternity with no conditions, no requirements. There is eternity promised for everybody. There is a beautiful eternity promised for everyone who hears his words and receives his teaching. There is not a beautiful eternity promised for those who do not. And I, I feel the need to speak on this, even though this rubs us the wrong way and we don't like talking about it. It's so necessary. I don't think one of the things that people don't think about uh, much when going into ministry or, or becoming a pastor, uh, they don't think about all the funerals they're going to be at. And one of the blessings that God has given me is the opportunity to be there for people when life is coming into the world and when life is ending. And no matter what, I am consistently acquainted with the reality of our mortality and the temporary nature of our life. And it, death in our temporary body, it just doesn't discriminate. Whether you lived a long time or a short time, whether you're a Christian, whether you're not a Christian, how much money you have, there is nothing it's just, it just happens without a warning. So it's so important to me to talk to you about the most important security that you can have. Because you leaving this body, the Bible calls this body a tent. It says that there's a house waiting for you, an eternal dwelling in heaven. 
You leaving this body is guaranteed, but you will be judged according to what you do in this body. That's what the Bible says. And so Jesus is saying that what we do in this tent, in this temporary body can be compared in this way. Everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. The challenges of life came, the testing came, the trials came, the fire came, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. We have the beautiful opportunity every time there's breath in our lungs, a heartbeat in our body, the ability, we have the opportunity to say yes to God, to his plan for our lives, to build our lives on his foundation, to place our security in him, to place our trust in him. So I want us to stand to our feet and the worship team is gonna come out. And I love that we get the opportunity, man, here on Tuesdays, I don't take this for granted, that we get the opportunity to dive into some of these things. And I'm excited to continue to dive into them over the next few weeks. But for tonight, tonight, Man, I want you to take the opportunity that God has given you to let God to, to let God search your heart. To offer yourself to him, maybe in a new way. To say, God, I am committing to build my life according to the security that you have offered me. I'm not going to live in fear. I'm not going to live enslaved to my sin that you came to free me from. I'm not going to live in bondage. I'm not gonna live distracted. I'm gonna live with my eyes on the true prize, the kingdom that cannot be shaken, the eternal kingdom of Jesus Christ. And Paul puts this so beautifully. He says, therefore, since we've been given and we're inheriting and we've received a kingdom that cannot be shaken, he says, let it be reflected in how you worship God with reverence and with awe. Since we have, been, since we have received a kingdom that is secure, since we have been blessed with every blessing available in the heavenly realms, since we have been seated with Christ, with access to everything that he has, washed clean, set aside for him, washed and blameless and righteous, since he loves us and he's loved us before he even created us, since he formed us and created us with love, since he watches over us with love, since he knows our thoughts and he discerns our thoughts and our hearts, meditations and intentions, and he watches every time we sit down and we stand up, he says all of this in his word. Since we have a God who loves us in that way and has reserved for us a kingdom so beautiful, that we can't even picture it, can't fathom it. Since he has secured for us a life 
eternally secure, eternally blessed, and eternally whole. Since we have received these things, let us worship him accordingly. And so if you'll lift your hands, just as a sign of surrendering to God in this moment, as a sign of worshiping God, as a sign of acknowledging his worthiness, I wanna pray. Father, I thank you so much for your security. God, I thank you that demons are trembling. The demons that would try to oppress us, that would try to speak curses and lies over us, that would try to speak lies like, oh, this isn't for you. Oh, yes, it is. Lord, I thank you that by your blood, you have washed us clean. Lord, that by your blood, you have provided forgiveness for our sins. That by your blood, you have provided us healing, Lord. By the blood that was shed on the cross, Lord, you made a mockery of the demonic powers and over everything that would try to come against us. Lord, and you've set us free. You've called us your children. You said that we are citizens of your kingdom, members of your household, God. Thank you that you have called us the bride of Christ, that you have denied us access to nothing, that you didn't say you've blessed us with some of the spiritual blessings, but you have blessed us with every spiritual blessing, everything that you've created for good, you've given to us, Lord. We thank you for it and we glorify your name. Lord, I thank you for what you're doing and I offer myself and we offer ourselves as a living sacrifice sacrifice, holy and pleasing to you in response to the love you have offered to us. Lord, have your way in this time and in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's worship. Hey, thank you for listening. We're so glad to have you as a part of our community. If you want to get connected any further, please visit fusionatl.org. You can get plugged into a small group there, and you can also send in a prayer request so that we can pray for you. Once again, thanks for listening, and thanks for being a part of Fusion ATL.